every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for the final time this week. It's Friday, the 2nd of February. We're looking forward to the weekend. But first, we've got some business and finance headlines to discuss. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance stories, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority kept its base rates steady at five and three quarter percent, hours after the US Federal Reserve left the Fed funds rate unchanged at a 23-year high of five and a quarter to five and a half percent, and signalled that it wasn't yet ready to start cutting rates in March. Commercial banks in Hong Kong kept their prime rates unchanged in line with the HKMA's decision. The Bank of England has signalled for the first time that it's ready to consider cutting interest rates, even as it cautioned that it's not prepared to start easing them yet. By a majority of six to three, the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee voted to maintain the bank's key rate at five and a quarter percent, as widely expected. BOE Governor Andrew Bailey said the bank had seen good news on inflation over the past few months and the central bank would keep under review how long rates should be held at current levels. But he stressed the central bank would need more data before it started reducing rates. Official trade data from South Korea showed robust growth in exports, thanks in part to strong demand for the country's semiconductors. January exports jumped 18% from the previous year versus 5% in December. Rising semiconductor exports and shipments to China helped drive growth. Chip exports surged 56.2%. That's the biggest rise in six years. Shipments to China jumped over 16%, ending a 19-month decline. India announced on Wednesday one of its biggest ever increases in capital spending for the next fiscal year to create jobs. Narendra Modi's government said it would raise spending on railways, airports and other infrastructure to a new high as it unveiled its final budget before the election. Finance Minister Nimala Sitharaman said in her budget speech that New Delhi would spend 134 billion US dollars in the coming fiscal year in a move she said would have a large multiplier impact on growth and investment. She described India as a bright star, with this year's economic growth estimated at 7%, despite the global economic slowdown. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Kenny Wen, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. With a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Staten Partners. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website and post any questions or comments at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. U.S. stocks closed higher on Thursday, rebounding from a sell-off in the previous session after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell pushed back against hopes that interest rates could start to fall as early as March. Earnings returned to the forefront with three of the so-called Magnificent Seven, Apple, Amazon and Meta, reporting results after the market closed. The S&P 500 added 1.3% to 4,906. The Dow climbed 370 points, or 1%, to 38,520. The Nasdaq Composite gained 1.3% to finish the session at 15,362. Treasury yields fell after rising jobless claims and more bank sell-offs, which was partly counteracted by a strong ISM manufacturing report. The 10-year yield hit its lowest level in a month before reversing modestly 
Italy to end the session six basis points lower at 3.87%. The dollar index ended the day half a percent lower at just above 103. Gold climbed for a fourth straight session, settling 0.7% higher at $2,054 an ounce. Oil fell after news reports from Al Jazeera that an Israel-Hamas ceasefire is imminent. Al Jazeera later deleted the original report. However, oil failed to recover from the initial sell-off, settling 2.3% lower at $78.70 a barrel. And Hong Kong shares closed higher after the Kaishin China General Manufacturing PMI released Thursday showed factory activity in the world's second-largest economy expanded for a third straight month in January. The Hang Seng Index closed 81 points higher, that's a third of a percent, at 15,566. The Tech Index rebounded 2%. China's CSI 300 rose under 0.1% to 3,218, rebounding from near five-year lows. And the Shanghai Composite was down 0.6% at 2,771. Looks like uh, Hong Kong markets are going to continue uh, their rebound. Futures pointing to a gain of about 60 points for the Hang Seng at the open. Looks like the index is going to open around about 15,625. And you can get more details on all those latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Well, January went in a flash. We're already the first uh, February, uh, the first Friday in February. That means it's time to welcome Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Hi, good morning. And also with us is Kenny Wen, who's head of investment strategy at KGI Asia. Morning to you, Kenny, as well. Good morning. Well, what a month it's been for um, Hong Kong and Chinese stocks. We did get a bit of a rebound yesterday, as you heard there. The Hang Seng closed about a third of a percent higher. The tech index rebounded 2% and the CSI 300 on the mainland was just clawed into positive territory, rising under 0.1%. But what about January? The Hang Seng was down 9.2%. That's the worst start to a year since 2016. It's also the worst monthly performance since February 2023. And it's also was the worst performer among all the major equity benchmarks worldwide in, uh, in January. Losses were widespread across all sectors. The tech index tumbled over 20% in January and the CSI 300 index and the Shanghai Composite both lost 6.3% last month. Um, Francis, despite all the stabilisation measures that have been announced, markets are still falling. Um, why is that? Well, I think uh, you have to point to one thing, a, a key factor is that the uh, Chinese economy basically, uh, well, it did not stop growing, but uh, it, it, it has been growing at an anemic pace. Uh, you, can, you can see it from the PMI index. And uh, we, we were celebrating when, when the PMI came in at 50.2. Which is fairly up. Yep. <laughs> and then the, yesterday, actually, the uh, official BMI came in at 49.2, showing that for uh, state owned enterprises, the, uh, uh, the, the, the factories are still not operating uh, uh, fully. I think uh, 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 it has been a long and painful recovery, uh, and 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 to top it off, it's really the decline in the property market. 
and uh, Evergram was uh, granted a bank uh, a bankruptcy petition and is in the process of winding up. Uh, chances are uh, uh, nobody will get anything. It's, it's only an empty shell now because uh, what, what can be so have been so. I think that what is left will be taken over by the government and everybody expecting uh, uh, this bombshell to really uh, to peter out. But, but then uh, other bombs are keep, keep coming, like uh, Country Garden and Kaiser and Venta. Uh, and I think uh, uh, twenty twenty four will be uh, we will hit bottom, but w- when is the bottom? I really cannot tell. But maybe in the middle of the year. Mm. Um, Kenny, I mean, all these things that France's lists have been known about for a while, haven't they? So isn't this a bit of an overreaction, do you think? Because there's no surprise in Evergrande. We've known about the property sector. Yes, the economy is not doing great, but it is still growing. But yet this has just been almost month after month after month of, um, of declines for both Hong Kong and Chinese stocks. I don't think it is overreacted because uh, the market was driven by some structural issue uh, that is concerned of, just like mentioned by Francis, uh, the investors still concerned about China economy and the property sector. Uh, we Where we offered them in 2023, we still worry about them in 2024. They, this type of concern will not suddenly disappear Right, so we we still driven by those factors, and I think another issue is uh the the policy support some investor, including myself, will believe that is not sufficient, because if you focus on Hang Seng Index, uh, it dropped below fifteen thousand in twenty second of uh January. That is the day which uh the central bank to keep the uh the the interest rate. Uh, unchanged, and then uh, they uh, there's news uh, re- regarding the uh, two trillion RMB stable fund and cutting the triple R. You you see actually the the stock market rebounded from below fifth, uh, uh, fifteen thousand to now around fifteen thousand five hundred. So I think uh, given we don't have enough confidence on economy, there's we we still waiting for a more powerful policy to support uh, our our uh, support the economy and also the stock market. So I think it's one of the key issues. And then during the period, uh, I think people also worry about the uh, China-US relations because you can see that there's many news saying that uh, US may have uh, another round of sanctions on life science stocks or uh, some uh, uh, Lenovo, uh, some uh, IT stock as well. So it's it's really quite a, a lot of bad news. But on the other hand, uh, mm-hmm. uh, excluding the P ratio is very cheap. I don't see any good news coming from the Hong Kong <laughs> and China market. So that's why uh, the, the Hong Kong market is still under pressure. I think it's driven by many structural issues. Those structural issues you mentioned, though, are going to take a long time to resolve. We're talking years, aren't we? Not not just months. So does this mean that the Hong Kong and Shanghai markets, you know, they're just going to grind lower? Or even if they don't go lower, they're not going to rebound from here? I have two scenarios. The first one here is if we have 
some kind of financial crisis, uh, then of course the Hansing Index will have uh, a, a lot of the, the, the downside risk. But on the other hand, uh, if we don't have the uh, what we call financial crisis, uh, then I think the downside risk will be relatively limited. Uh, a, a thousand uh, or uh, a thousand five hundred, uh, and but on the other hand, uh, those uh, structural issues uh, mentioned by my by, by me, I, I will say is limited the upside potential for Hong Kong stock because uh, you are right. For the China economy, we we don't have the property leverage now. We don't have the um, uh, labor advantage now. So it's really difficult to have a six, seven percent GDP growth. And also, I think the position of Hong Kong is totally changed uh, because in, in, in the good days, uh, we in the middle of China and US, we can take the advantage. But now we are suffering their their disagreement. And the third issue is, I strongly believe in 2024 or 2025, AI or uh, uh, technology will be a, a very important investment theme. But in Hong Kong, uh, most stock are related to uh, financial, property. Uh, we actually don't have much AI stocks. So, uh, this structural issue, I don't think, can be solved uh, within weeks or months. Mm. I mean, Francis, if we look at where the Hang Seng is now, it dropped below uh, the level back in 1997 when uh, at the time of the handover. So, you know, basically your, your, your clients have made no money um, since, since then. How are clients, Francis, reacting um, to all of this? Because it must be pretty despairing for them uh, to just see this going on month after month. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I I advise my clients to switch to uh, U.S. stocks already. If if you had had you bought uh, a, 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 the cheap stocks like Nvidia and AMD, you would have make a lot of money already. So, uh, to play the Hong Kong market, you can you can still uh by the uh, derivative uh, like uh, 7 7500 which is uh, we, which is three times uh the hang seng index down, down so we, so you can short the market or you can buy us stocks and and of course you can also buy japanese or indian stocks and then you and then you you will come out ahead Mm. So I think there's a, one key point is uh, so, sorry to add in. I think one key point is uh, yes, Hong Kong or China stock market performed it uh, disappointed, but other than that, in US, in Taiwan, uh, the stock market performance was were mm-hmm. quite good. So if if investors uh globally invested, they uh they 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 uh, including US or Taiwan, we are relatively positive on Taiwan this year because as I mentioned, we like AI film and we think the AI film will change from software to hardware. So the the Taiwan market will be the beneficiary. Uh, uh and then we can focus on uh, stock. Uh, we can focus on fixed income as well. So. If you really um, uh, allocate your capital into different asset classes, uh, also different countries, uh, actually, two hundred two three, your performance uh, was not was was not bad. 
uh, indeed. I mean, we see that, don't we, in the uh, in the mandatory provident fund. If you're in a global fund and you're well diversified and you try yes. and get away from this home bias of, you know, investors preferring their home markets, you would have done pretty well because even though China and Hong Kong's down, there's the US, there's, as you say, Taiwan, Japan, India. Even if you just had an Asian fund, you would have done quite well um, last year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, Francis, is there a difference between how international investors are, are seeing the markets here as opposed to local investors, or is everyone just dumping shares? <laughs> well, well, actually, uh, local investors are much more loyal. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, most of them, especially the elderly ones, they have been invested in this uh, market for ages, for decades. So it's it's difficult for tell them to change the habit mm. and then switch buying U.S. stocks. And, and up until maybe last year, I don't think uh, that many uh, 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 Hong Kong investors buy into uh, U.S. stocks. It's only uh, ever since last year that actually the young investors, especially those in their 20s and 30s, Started buying U.S. stocks, and and also because some of the brokers offer uh, very good services, so buying U.S. stocks is much easier. Except that you have to wake up in the middle of like of the night, so that's why uh, more people are buying U.S. stocks now. And then actually, uh, the the problem is the Hong Kong market is. Uh, uh, very dead, and uh, most of uh, the stockbrokers who do is uh, Hong Kong market only. Uh, well, it's really suffer. A, a lot of yeah. uh, the issue as well is also the perception, isn't it, of the the local market by um, investors. So, do how do things like the introduction of a new security law affect that? Does that worry investors um, at all, or does that worry companies and businesses, or are they not concerned? No. I don't think it's, it's the law that uh, affect uh, the market. It's really uh, uh, the the, uh, the the listed companies fail to grow. I think up up until twenty twenty one or I think uh, some somewhere around there, uh, the big techs like Alibaba, Tencent, Meituan, etc. They they've been growing like 30 percent mm. a year but ever since uh, 2021 or 22 they stopped growing mm. And, mm. and and then with that the the share price started to fall and and not just fall by 10 or 20 percent but fell by 70 percent or more so that really killed the market i think everybody's lost big money and then the, un, unless uh Unless the exchange fund uh, help us <laughs> spend spend two hundred million dollars, <laughs> surely not again. Maybe we can recover from this slump. Mm. I mean, Kenny, what what do you think here? How yeah. much is the perception of Hong Kong changed? Is is Hong Kong still perceived by um, investors and by businesses, by companies, as a good place to do business, or has that been damaged by uh, the things that are going on and also the introduction of national security laws? 
I, I think uh, whether Hong Kong is still worth to doing business is, is another issue. But I want to focus on the inception or the mentality uh, uh, of the uh, foreign investors. Uh, I mean, 10 years ago for a foreign, uh, for a U.S. investor, uh, maybe they're hold, uh, he holding 100% U.S. stock. And then they uh, they found that uh, China GDP growth we're talking about six percent, seven percent, eight percent, maybe. And also he heard about Tencent, Alibaba, perform quite good. So he would like to diversify some of his portfolio uh, for diversification, right? Mm-hmm. But after five or eight years, uh, they they fi- finally know that it is not diversification. It's actually hurting their p- portfolio performance. So uh, the, the, the inception is totally changed. Why don't I focus on US stock, which they know much more uh, better than China stock. And the performance is much, much better. So I, I think the inception is totally changed. But whether the the, uh, the security law will hurt the uh, Hong Kong as a financial center, um, I, I, I don't think so. But at least for short term, uh, there's not the uh, key issue or the major issue which uh, affect the, the uh, investor uh, uh, views, I think, is the performance of the stock market. Do, do you worry about things, though, in, in the law that maybe could criminalise things like uh, the providing of economic information? I mean, economic in- information could be a state secret. So if you're a broker and you write reports about the, the economy in Hong Kong, are you divulging state secrets now? Is, is that a concern? I'm not really concerned because uh, I'm a investment uh, commentators. I comment on stock market, uh, China, a global uh, economy, global economy every day. But I think if I follow the law, uh, make a fair uh, comments based on facts, I, I I'm not too worried about that. Francis, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Well, I think uh, uh, the national security law uh, is really too broad. It really depends on how you apply it. Uh, I think for most commentators, uh, they uh, they uh, use published information to to write comments. So they that should not be uh, seen as a breach of uh, national security law. I think it's really the way uh, they applied it. Mm. If you apply it like in, on mainland China, anything can be national security. But of course, uh, in Hong Kong, we don't see that commentating on the economy can be a breach of national security. Mm. I think people may be worry too much. <laughs> Mm. I mean, but that's the fear, isn't it? That this is becoming more and more like mainland China and their definition of national security and state secrets and spreading uh, rumours and false information that, that we're going to become more and more like the mainland. Yeah, that, uh, that is the problem. That's, that's really how you applied it. If, if you can, uh, can, can have an objective way of uh, a, an objective standard, that may be better. But if you have a subjective standard, you can say anything is national security. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So we can we can wait and see to see how the 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 the, the, the court to uh, apply those laws. 
How do interest rates fit into the picture? Obviously, we're not going to get an interest rate cut now in March, as investors had been um, hoping for, certainly according to Jerome Powell anyway, uh, earlier this week. However, interest rates are cut, 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 interest rate cuts do appear to be on the table. Both the Bank of England and the Fed um, have said they're looking at that. Will that help the markets here if we start seeing interest rates being cut? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think they will ease the pressure on the renminbi because uh, last year, the, one of the reasons that the China market went down was because the weakness of, of the renminbi is 7.2 or something like that. And I think now it's 7.1. So I think uh, if the U.S. Uh, starts to cut interest rates maybe in June, I think we can expect a rebound in the equity markets in China and Hong Kong. I think at least uh, uh, for, for Hong Kong, uh, the, uh, the interbank rate will uh, fall a little bit. And right now it's something like 4%, which is really, uh, for the past 10 years, which is a very high rate already. Yeah, I agree that if cutting rate in U.S. will be uh, positive on uh, Hong Kong economy uh, as well as Hang Seng Index, but I will treat it as bonus. I think the fundamental issue still uh, around the China economy and uh, property sector. If uh, those structural issues did not solve, uh, even though Hang Seng Index driven by the interest rate cut and then go up uh, 1,000, 2,000 points, uh, it will drop back again. And uh, I agree with Francis, our, our house rate is uh, the FOMC will cut interest rate uh, in May or, or June because it will refer to the um, post-meeting statement. Uh, seems that the official needs greater confidence to conclude that uh, the inflation uh, has slowed it uh, sustainably. So they still need waiting for one, two, three, or four months uh, uh, data to confirm their, 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 their views. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, it's not just the Fed that said that. The Bank of England said the same thing yesterday as well, that you know, they want to see more evidence that inflation is going to hit this 2% target and stay there. But I'm wondering, what do they need to see to convince themselves of that? Because I, I can see things going on around the world that actually could push inflation back up again. We have these various disruptions going on in the, in the Red Sea and, and other parts of the world. Yeah. Um, so what is it that's going to convince them, do you think that um, inflation is now under control? Uh, I think, I think uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I think that is right. Uh, uh, that's a uh, conflict between the, the US, maybe uh, uh, Iran back uh, terrorists or, or, or I, uh, IS, and uh, the US is going to retaliate uh, today or tomorrow. Mm. And uh, we hope that the conflict will will not go out of hand, and if that is that's the case, and uh, there will be more disruption in the in the Red Sea, and that may drive up uh, freight rates and also uh, transport costs between Asia and Europe, and that could be a cause of increase in the inflation. Kenny? Yeah, I think the uh, geopolitical issue is one issue, and uh, it referred to Peter question uh, whether what we we need to see to confirm the inflation has slowed it. I will say if you focus on the uh, last week 
just the U.S. announced the PCE. Uh, even though the core PCE dropped below 50%, it's uh, relatively good and below the market expectation. But if we focus on the core Surface X shelter uh, 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 data, actually it's still uh, relatively good. And according to Powell, that, that data is actually he focusing on. So I think he want to see uh, the not only the overall uh, CPI or PCE data is in the detail uh, to to further confirm uh, they has controlled this the, the inflation. Then they will have more confidence to uh, uh, cutting rates. Mm. I mean, they say that they need to keep rates restrictive for a while longer. But of course, you could actually cut rates and they could still be restrictive, couldn't they? So, the you know, the two could go together. I mean, you could argue that, you know, you could ease rates a bit and they're still quite tight. Yeah, but if well, you're cutting rates too early, then we'll... Uh... Uh, push up the inflation expectation. That it, it may fail what what you have done in the past one to two years. So they will they will choose to they will rather to be prudent mm. uh, to to wait for a few months. I, mean, I think, Francis, that's the issue, isn't it? They don't want to be wrong yeah. again and start cutting rates only then to see inflation shoot up after they got inflation so badly wrong a couple of years ago. They don't really want to make the same mistake again. Yeah, definitely. I think central bankers are by nature very cautious people. Yeah. They, they don't want to make mistakes and they tend to uh, lag behind the market. And also, I think uh, in this year, also, we have a political issue because we will have the president election in November. So if Powell uh, wants to support uh, Biden, Joe Biden, he should cut the interest rate earlier. But on the other way, if we prefer uh, Donald Trump, then it to hold on to cut the interest rate later. So that may be uh, another uh, uh, factor we need to concern about. Do, do you think these are considerations? I mean, the, the Fed always says it's totally apolitical. This never thinks about anything like that. But do you think that's true? Do you think there are political considerations that come into play? I, I think theoretically uh, they should be independent, but uh, in reality, and I, I still think that economic issue inflation data is more important. But political factor will they concern a little bit? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What do you think, Francis? Are they? I mean, if Donald Trump wins, he'll probably be threatening to fire Jerome Powell again, won't he? Like he did uh, yeah. four years ago. Of of course, uh, Jerome Powell would not like to see Donald Trump be, be the boss again because he, he threatened to fire uh, Jerome Powell during his uh, term. And yeah. uh, of course, uh, for, for the Republicans, there are many uh, 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 theories that, uh, uh, and, and uh, some of them are really very crazy. So, so, so I think Jerome Powell would like to stay out of politics. They don't want he he doesn't want to be the target of uh, white wing Republicans who who can say anything. Mm. What do you make of the economic data we've had this week on the Hong Kong economy? We had retail sales um, showed growth slowing quite sharply there. The economy uh, grew 3.2% last year, um, but that was um, less than expected. Uh, although it was an improvement on the previous year where it contracted uh, 3.7%. Are you seeing any signs that things are getting better economically wise in, in Hong Kong? Not right now. I think we are just plodding along. Uh, 
uh, we are growing at a very painfully slow pace. And then another indicator is that the, prop the decline in property market uh, has not stopped. Mm. Uh, it's still falling. Uh, uh, property prices are still falling. The, the, the only uh, safe increase is that the rental market is holding up indicating that there are more people renting. That may be because some people are selling their pro their property so that they can rent it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and so uh, we, we still have not climbed out of the recession in terms uh, caused by the COVID uh, years. And so it will be a pain, painful, painfully long recovery, and we, we, we really have to bear with it, and we should not get our hopes too high. Yeah, I agree that the uh, lucrative wealth effect is uh, hurting Hong Kong economy. But there are another key issue. Uh, maybe, Peter, you, you know, um, Hong Kong people now will go to China shopping mm -hmm. and having dinner. But on the other hand, for tourists uh, in uh, come to Hong Kong, they are not that type of aggressive shopping mm. like five or ten years ago. So this type of changes is is very significant uh, to, to impact Hong Kong. Mm. I mean, this is a big problem, isn't it? Because Hong Kong people yes. are spending far less here in Hong Kong and foreigners who are coming here are spending less as well because they're coming on budget yeah. packages these days and staying in cheap hotels. And um, But there seem <laughs> to be far more local people interested in going to Shenzhen and spending their money there yeah. uh, than they exactly. are in spending the money in Hong Kong. Oh, don't yeah. worry, we are see in town. There, there uh, many big spenders who are coming. How do we reverse that? How do we get? Um, because we need. Do we need tourists? I mean, I suppose you know we do need them, don't we? But do are we ever going to see them in the sort of numbers that we used to see? I don't think so. I don't. I, even now, Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, 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 treating something like uh, more than 20 million tourists every year. That's really, <laughs> we already reach an upper limit. I don't think our infrastructure can handle something like 50 million tourists a year. That would be too, far too many. Mm. Kenny, what happened? Expenders are not coming now. So how do we make ourselves more attractive? Um, <laughs> for example, holding more... Uh, festival or function to attract uh, foreigners to come to Hong Kong because you can't stop uh, Hong Kong people to uh, shopping in in China because it's relatively uh, cheap and also the government is promoting uh, Greater Bay Area these few years so there's, there's mm. a, 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 that's why we, we go to China to shopping so I, I think it's very difficult you, you just can't stop it so the only way is attract more uh, foreigners uh, to come to Hong Kong. Mm. And what is it that would attract foreigners to Hong Kong? Because we're sort of a, a bit of an odd city in some ways, aren't, aren't we? I mean, the, the things that used to attract people in the past maybe are not the same things now that are going to attract people in the future. Yeah, yeah I can get Taylor Swift to come to Hong Kong, maybe we'll have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree. 
<laughs> <laughs> and, and what about on the mainland? We've we've had uh, the PMI data now. It was a bit mixed, wasn't it? The um, the the, yeah. uh, the the National Bureau of Statistics PMI was in contraction, which obviously measures large state-owned enterprises. But the Kaishin one is still growing, which is smaller um, and medium-sized private um, enterprises. What what do you make from the data that we had? I, I think that really showcased the need for the government incentive to really boost the market. Uh, we've heard the uh, $2 trillion uh, uh, stock market stabilization fund from uh, Bloomberg, but uh, we're still waiting. Mm. Uh, and uh, the government need to do other things, maybe spend $2 trillion in boosting the economy, something like that. And so uh, uh, without that, I, I think uh, China will be stuck in low key and the, uh, the economic growth will be stuck at, at below 5%. Yeah, I think uh, because 2 PMI, uh, the sample size is different uh, and the official PMI is more broad-based. So uh, personally, I, I will focus more on the uh, official data, which uh, the, the manufacturing PMI is below 50. So for for my for for for, for myself, I think is I agree with Francis is that the government should do more to support the economy to uh yeah to uh, to launch more uh policy to support the economy and the confidence. Okay, well, thank you both very much indeed for your thoughts this morning. Have a great weekend. You heard there Kenny Wen, who is head of investment strategy at KGI Asia, and Francis Lun, the CEO of Geo Securities. <laughs> I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Now, I think we've had some good news, haven't we, in Australia on the inflation front, uh, inflation dropping to a two-year low. Yeah, very good uh, result. And sort of comes at a time that, uh, um, you know, if you look outside of Australia, everyone's talking about lower interest rates, uh, whereas here we were thinking that we we're quite a bit behind on the inflation-fighting front. Um Noting, of course, that we still have a full handle in the CPI. So, uh, albeit better, it's still uh, annualised around 4%, well short of the target of the 2 to 3 that the Reserve Bank will want, but it was definitely an improvement. And and that was included in the core uh, numbers. You know, the trim mean, which is the sort of RBA measure of the CPI number, was also very good. So, that's led to a lot of conversation around, you know, potential uh, moves towards a pivot in monetary policy here in Australia quicker than we'd thought. And that was, you know, obviously then reflected in equity prices moving up quite sharply on Wednesday. And we, they were at a new all-time high, I think, weren't they, uh, the, the Australian markets? Yeah, it did. I think it, uh, ASX 200 got to sort of 76.80. And then, of course, you had the big uh, correction in the U.S., uh, post the FOMC, which is now, and then and then the bounce back. So we're about we're about thirty points short of that uh, high that was printed on Wednesday. So we're still definitely looking pretty positive. And what about uh, the economy? We you've had the the PMI numbers out now, along with lots of others from around um, Asia. What's that showing? It's a mixed bag. I think it's pretty consistent with what you'll get um, outside in some of the other uh, developed economies where. You know, we the consumer is still pretty active. I did note, of course, uh, that building permits uh, figures yesterday were well down. So the level of construction in Australia is is below what is needed to 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 reach the the demand that is there for housing, and that that's a structural problem in Australia, and actually can be a bit of a negative for the drive on inflation because 
for every you know 100 houses of demand australia's only building 95 we've had a lot of issues in terms of getting construction moving and that's going to continue to be a drag on on inflation because um you know we'd have a structural undersupply which keeps pushing prices up keeps rents high so on that basis i think there's a bit of negative uh, but overall the economy is chugging along pretty well the consumer um uh, is is in pretty good shape although the retail sales figure um was weak uh, during the week earlier in the week, but that was probably a reflection of an overstatement in the previous month. So, um, all in all, not too bad. Are you seeing any signs in the uh, in the data of um, supply chain disruptions because of all these disruptions in the Red Sea with container ships having to go the long way um, uh, around Africa? Is that starting to show up at all, either in terms of price pressures or longer delivery times? I've only heard it anecdotally, um, and it tends to be suppliers managing expectations um, as opposed to reality. So there is talk of um, delays. There is also a, 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 some industrial disputes. Uh, the largest uh, port, port company, DP World, um, which runs uh, the largest ports in Australia, having problems with the maritime union in terms of wages, and there's been disruption there. So that could also add a factor. And that also lends potentially to a higher inflation uh, environment, which means you know the RBA might um, pour a little bit of cold water on the enthusiasm that came out up post the CPI, and uh, and we'll have the Reserve Bank meeting, of course, our first one for next for for the year next week. Mm. And of course, this may be an issue for other central banks as well. The big news this week, of course, the Fed leaving interest rates where they were. But it was more the message, wasn't it, that Jerome Powell had, which was that, you know, we'd like to cut, but it's just too early at the moment. We really need to be sure that inflation is going to get down to the, the target and stay there. Yeah, to me, it always felt like that was the obvious um, response from the Fed. And I was quite surprised the market um, reacted so aggressively against it. But actually, it was pretty much a 24-hour dummy spit from investors mm. because the stocks <laughs> bounced back pretty quickly. But um, fairly logical comments from Powell, you would think. You know, uh, yes, um, you know, the language has shifted that there'll be no more rate hikes. But, you know, given um, the need to ensure that you, you can kill inflation, and we talk a lot about that when you and I speak about inflation expectations, you've got to avoid them being embedded. They're not going to lift it, lift it too quickly. And the data, um, albeit some of the data is a bit softer than expected, like, for instance, um, you know, Chicago PMI and the various other data shows some, some softening in the economy. Overall, growth's chugging along pretty well. Mm. So I don't think they're in any hurry to, you know, to loosen policy unless they see a risk that they're, you know, they're going to grind the economy to a halt. And that's just not coming through the numbers. Maybe tonight's payroll number might give some other figure, but even the employment data we're seeing during the week doesn't show – it shows a bit of softness, but it doesn't show, you know, the demand's really, you know, falling off a cliff in the US economy. So what would it take to convince the Fed that inflation is going to come down to the target and stay there? What, what do you think it needs to, to see to convince itself? <sighs> I think it probably needs to, and this is a sort of slightly weird way of putting it, but they probably want to see a little bit more um, a degradation in the demand, in aggregate demand in the economy. Mm. So they probably want to see that and probably a bit more unemployment. I don't think they'll ever admit that, but probably a bit more stress in the labour market. Um, that would give them, um, I wouldn't say confidence, so that would give them assurance that uh, you know demand has slowed um, 
aggressively enough for um, you know the labour market to start to feel the stress, and that's probably where they'll be convinced that they could probably make some move on policy. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? The central banks are being very cautious. I suppose that's their nature, but um, they've been burnt a few times, haven't they? The Fed was badly burned in, in 2021 and 2022 when they thought inflation was going to be transitory and then it was much higher, much more persistent than expected. So they are reluctant to cut rates. You've got the Bank of Japan also burnt, but in the opposite direction. Um, they they cut rates too um they, they they cut rates uh, too quickly, um, and and you know before um, before wage prices had really um, be, had a chance to, to build up. So these these central banks they sort of um, really don't want to make the same mistakes again, do they? That they made in recent history. No, and if, and, and if you think about wages, you know it's a very important point. While the labour market's tight, there's pressure on wages, and wages represent one of the key drivers of inflation, both in terms of reality, in terms of actual prices, and in terms of uh, consumer behaviour and demand. So, yeah, I think the labour market's a key driver. And, um, you know, we'll have a look at the payroll numbers tonight. The forecast is for slightly softer jobs growth, but an unemployment rate around 3.7 in the US. If that sort of stays fairly solid, then I think it buys time for the Fed. You know, it, uh, that would be the one factor that they would probably has been a bit of a conundrum is the tightness of the labour market, even at a time when they are raising interest rates aggressively. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that has been one thing that probably has got most analysts a little bit um, confused is why the labour market stayed so tight despite uh, the very aggressive uh, hiking that went on. And what do you make of the market reaction um, to this? It seems on Wednesday, the investors focused on the bit that said, we're not close to easing yet, and it's not going to be March. And then last night, they focused on the bit that's, you know, well, but they're not going to be hiking either. They've taken the hiking bias um, out of their out of their statements and, and sort of rebounded. But where do you think the markets are on this? Well, I was, as I said to you, I thought it was a, you know, it was a bit of a dummy spit, um, an unnecessary one, because you know what, what, what Powell said was pretty logical and 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 pretty much in line with what the market should have expected. So I think coming back, it sort of, you know, it corrected itself. Um, I think the market's position probably um, where it's vulnerable to correction. So I think the way the market reacted to to that suggested there's a there's a nervousness around these levels, or at least some sensitivity. And you know, reading a few analysts are saying, look, more chance of a downward correction as a shock than an upward spike from here, and that's mainly because we've, you know, we've we've pretty much priced in all the good news, the Goldilocks scenario, for want of a better expression. So I think the way which I would analyse the move on on uh, a post FOMC was that there are probably a, a few people who are ready to take profits, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that suggests that any bad news. Or any um, underwhelming news from the market's perspective could lead to a sharper correction than what we're we're ready. Um, notwithstanding that the you know the overall trend is still positive, so you know our feeling is that the market's probably due a fairly healthy correction at some point. Um, and uh, what's going to trigger that, I don't know. But maybe the signs of that volatility came out with the the way in which they reacted to to the comments from the Fed governor. 
Mm. Also, maybe there's a trigger again in the um, in the in the regional banks. We've suddenly seen a slide again, haven't we, in the regional bank um, index, and and one of them, the the New York Community Bank Core, it, it slumped what 11% overnight, 40% the previous day, um, because of these rising sort of loan losses linked to sort of office um, buildings. So maybe that's that's the warning sign. Yeah, that, that might be. You know, there'll be a few canaries in the coal mine, as they say, uh, to watch out for. Um, but overall, if you have a look at corporate earnings on the whole, let's say take take the bank sector and the regional bank sector out, um, I was reading about 30% of co- companies had reported and there's a 79% beat on earnings. Um, you know, there's obviously been some some underwhelming ones, but generally speaking, the corporate sector is, you know, still producing pretty good profit results. Mm-hmm. So the market's not wrong in terms of its, you know, uh, the way in which, um, you know, the, the economy is going. But, yeah, looking for – I guess we're, we're more vulnerable to negative news right now because of where, where share prices are. So I guess that's the way in which I analyse the reaction to the Fed. And these big tech stocks, they're still delivering, aren't they? Amazon reported better than expected results. Meta um, certainly did. They, they seem to still, despite, you know, their extended sort of valuations, they're, they're, they're still coming up with the goods. Yep, yep. Uh, Apple's results weren't too bad. Uh, they got some growth, but uh, they, they missed on sales data, so they came off a little bit. But yeah, overall, as I said, I think you know the the mega stocks, the mega cap stocks, um, you know, lofty in terms of valuations, but the results are pretty good. So, you know, uh, I don't think necessarily investors want to get out of them, uh, but I would say that they're more vulnerable to wanting to take some profit. Mm. And um, what is noticeable is the ones that are exposed to China, where they're you know they generate a significant amount of revenues in China, like Tesla, like um, Apple. They are suffering, aren't they? Yeah, and you know you're looking at the China data, the PMIs this week. Um, the PMI was it was slightly expansionary on the Caxon yesterday, but it's still you know still a little bit anemic uh, for one of you know not coming out at, at, at a rate of knots. And I think that's going to continue to be a bit of a theme to watch for is can China get some velocity into its uh, into its growth uh, in, in 2024? Mm, it's depressing being an investor into China, unlike Australia and the US where you're at all-time highs. We're a long, long, long way from those highs. <laughs> uh, well, there's swings and roundabouts, you know, that uh, always got to be mindful that, uh, you know, not everyone's at the top every day. Well, thank you so much, Toby, and have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and David Friedland, Managing Director of Asia Pacific at Interactive Brokers. And providing a view on mainland China will be China specialist and author Mark O'Neill. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.